Thank you for tuning in to WVEW LP Brattleboro 1077 FM. It's Sunday at 1. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Find us at Indigo Radio on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find our archive of shows under Indigo Radio on SoundCloud and iTunes. We have been broadcasting for over four years with shows about education, prisons, labor, health, housing, media, and youth voices of resistance. Subscribe weekly to hear more. The views and and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and not the radio station. This is Kelly Juno, and I teach third grade in Massachusetts, and I'm also a member of the Spark Teacher Education Program. So before we start our show today, I just wanted to let people know about Spark's upcoming summer camp for kids happening in August. It is called Lyrics, Songs, Poems, and the World. It's a summer music camp program. There are two daily sessions, 9 a.m. to 12 or 12 to 3. The dates are August 9th through August 13th. And it's ages 11 to 17, but younger children are also welcome. Children will be six feet apart outdoors in Putney, Vermont. And um, it is $10 a day, but it's a sliding scale. So we can work with people. If you are interested and you would like to register, um, please call 802-451-0291. Again, the number is 802-451-0291. You can also email pstryford at gmail.com. That's P-S-T-R-I f-e-r-t at gmail.com. I am not personally running this musical summer camp, but I'm very excited that it's happening. And I can say that as a teacher, I've noticed that in this very difficult year, sometimes people's responses to the the stress and the, the sorrow and just the kind of isolation and sadness that has come with this year has been sometimes to push more, to be more stressed out, to be more frustrated with each other, to try to do more work. Um, And sometimes I think we lose sight of what makes life worth living in the first place. And so we hope you will join us and take place, uh, take part in this joyful week of songs and poetry writing to think about a better world. So This week's show is an interview, the interview that I did with Yoav Elinevsky. So Yoav Elinevsky was born and raised in Jerusalem. He is a veteran of the October 1973 war in the Middle East. He's a professor emeritus of mathematics at Mount Wachusett Community College. He's an activist and abolitionist with the Latin American Solidarity Coalition of Western Massachusetts Massachusetts Peace Action. Their next big project is a march across Massachusetts from Springfield to Boston, No New Women's Prison in Mass, and Incarceration of Women and Girls. It is September 7th through the 13th this year, and he invites you to join them. So in my interview with Yoav, he discusses his time in the Israeli military Israel's role in a global imperialist system, and also resistance. But first, let's go to a short song break. This is Bright Eyes' Old Soul Song for the New World Order. Through the wind 
much for joining us today on Indigo Radio. Um, can you start by talking a little bit about your background? Sure. It's uh, very nice to to be here on this show and very nice to uh, talk to you, Kelly. Um, I was born in Jerusalem in uh, 1952, which is four years after the establishment of the State of Israel. And... Um, um, my case was somewhat uh, unusual in that on both sides of my families, we have strong roots in Palestine. So my mother was born in Haifa, and uh, my grandmother on my father's side was born in Jerusalem. And so uh, unlike most of my friends, uh, let's say in elementary school, who were immigrants to to then Israel. My family lived there for quite a while. And, uh, you know, we were called Sabras, which is really, a, 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 it's a cactus that was grown by Palestinians. Uh, and you still see in, in Palestine uh, many places um, that used to be part of the farmland and uh, of the native Palestinians, you can still see the, the sabres. But we were called sabres because we were born in Israel. And um, I was born to a very active Zionist family. Uh, my mother um, was a teenager when she joined uh, a Jewish militia, which is called the Palmach, which is a military force uh, created by the British. Uh, before World War II, 
as the British were concerned that the Germans will um, attack the oil facilities in the port of Haifa. And, uh, and also there was also danger that uh, German forces will come from the other side, from the desert, from North Africa, uh, before the Allies defeated the, the German in North Africa. So my mother volunteered to, to, to serve in this militia. Uh, she, at, uh, as a youngster, uh, joined a, a, a Jewish, a small Jewish settlement in the West Bank, which was in Gush Etzion in 1947. And 1948, uh, this settlement was taken over by the Jordanian, Jordanian army and my mother was wounded in this battle. Uh, she had a bullet in her feet and then was taken as a prisoner of war and was in, in Jordan. So my father had to lie about his age so he could join the British army to fight in Europe. And then when he came back to, um, at the time it was not uh, Israel, it was still under the British uh, mandate, Palestine. When he came back, he uh, joined the uh, Israeli uh, uh, Jewish, it was not Israeli, then Jewish forces, eventually became an officer in the Israeli army. And so you see, this is the kind of background uh, that I came from. We grew up strong believers in the idea that uh, uh, it is a, a just to have a, a Jewish state in Palestine. And um, like good Zionists, when I finished the high school in Jerusalem, I was uh, very happy actually to join the military and do my part and continue the tradition of my family and friends and so on. So. <laughs> So you see, I, I, I grew up uh, believing in, in, in the Zionist uh, idea and I was uh, ready to give my life uh, for that cause. Okay, so this is where Yoav starts talking about his time in the Israeli military. In the military, I was, uh, um, I was uh, for quite a long time in the, inside the Gaza Strip Contrary to what people think, the 67 war was not a six-day war. Uh, the war on the, with the Egyptian along the Suez Canal was still going on, and the, the Palestinian resistance to uh, Israeli occupation uh, was quite militant. And for that purpose, we were introduced to the Gaza Strip to try to fight uh, and eliminate the militant resistance of the Palestinian to the Israeli occupation. But we did not see it in that way when, you know, like young people, uh, young men uh, thinking about, you know, getting excited about fighting and, and, and winning and this kind of stuff. Uh, so I would say that um, this was the first time that I came in contact with Palestinians is when I was in the military in Gaza Strip. Uh, there are some, uh, there were, I, I met some Palestinians in Israel itself in the city of Nazareth when I was a kid, but Jewish and Palestinian communities in Israel are completely segregated. At the end of the 48 war, most of the Palestinians were kicked out from their homes, their property was stolen. And so in there, I think there were no more than, I would, my guess will be a quote, no more than a quarter of a million, probably less Palestinians that remain in 48 after the huge ethnic cleansing uh, of 47, 48 of the Palestinians. And so when I grew up in Israel, in the 50s and the 60s, there were not that many Palestinians that we came across. Jerusalem was divided between East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem. The West Bank was under, and East Jerusalem were under control of the Jordanian. There was a deal between the Zionists and the king of, of Jordan, King Abdallah, to uh, basically split Palestine between them. So 
I did not really, I never had a friend who is a Palestinian. I, there was minimal contacts that we had with Palestinians. So the first uh, meeting that I had with Palestinians was as a soldier in Gaza. And this slowly, slowly, slowly opened my eyes to see that, to see the, the Palestinians uh, and, and recognize them and see how they live and what they go through as a result of um, the establishment of, of the state of Israel. I was there between 1970, 1972. Poverty was just shocking. Uh, infrastructure, um, very crowded refugee camps. So that was really my first, my first, the first time that I came close to to Palestinian. E- even though I was a, I was a soldier, and of course there was a, no communication other than shouting and uh, whatever soldiers are doing when they are on a and a search on destroy missions. So, so what was your job in the military when you were in Gaza? Well, basically, our job is just like what the the Americans are do American soldiers doing in Afghanistan. Is you you it's called a search and destroy mission. So you you are there to to find to find uh, a militant uh, those who are uh, resisting the occupation and engage in them and and try to eliminate them to kill them. So it was like suppression, repression of the Palestinian resistance. Yeah, is to try to find the fighters. Is to try to find by all kind of ways to 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 find out. You know that there is militant resistance because sometimes you are shooting on Israeli soldiers and 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 the mines and things like that. So you know they, you know you know that they are there. You know that they they are active, and your your job in the military is to find them and and to kill them. So this this uh, experience uh, started the process of change that led me today to to understand uh, fully the the extent of the injustice that uh, continuous injustice and uh, and genocidal experience of the Palestinians and you know we have here a situation that one need to think to understand it I think Americans should be able to understand it uh, well because the experience is Israel was born uh, in a violent uh, uh, situ- space uh just like uh, the settlers that they came here uh when they when they tried to uh, take over the land from the native americans uh, they 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 went with the gun uh the, the, and the, the, and it's the same whether it is the french in algeria or the australians in the white australians in australia but the difference is that the palestinians uh their number is about equal to the to the number of Israeli Jews, mm. and and their resistance is uh, they will always resist like every other people. Look at history; every other people that are colonized, uh, that are, are suffering under such condition that they, they this you know not having one day of freedom, they will the youth will always fight for for freedom, and resist the occupier. And they have the right to do so. And so, in the case of Israel, the dependence on, on, the, on the military and the army and to always use the gun and always to kill and always to destroy, they have to do it because otherwise the, 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 the resistance is, is, uh, is growing and will grow and will continue. And therefore, the measure will be more extreme. And as the population in Palestine is becoming younger and younger, we are going to see more and more, unfortunately, this is a terrible situation. It's a terrible situation. Uh, uh, we need to think about Israel, not just as South Africa, just uh, not just as to think about apartheid, because apartheid is, what Israel is doing is even worse than apartheid. But we need to think in terms of the future as the solution to South Africa. That is to say, that we must think in terms of a future society that will live 
that Palestinian Israelis will live together under a, in a democratic state that will belong to all the people that live there and will serve the interest of their working people in both societies. Uh, and even better, uh, it makes sense because it was the British and the French that divided the Middle East to think about the future of the region as some sort of a, a, a united, like the, the European Union, let's say. In other words, that it will be Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine. Mm -hmm. Historically, it's been really one unit. So can you talk more about um, Israel's relationship to the rest of the world and specifically what role does Israel play in war and repression around the world? Well, uh, that's a very good question because I, I mentioned already that Israel was created mainly thanks to the support of the, the biggest power at the time was the, the, the British Empire. Uh, and the Zionists, uh, before they uh, were able to receive the support of, of the British Empire, uh, tried with the, 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 the German uh, Kaiser uh, to get his support to, to a Jewish settlement in the Middle East. And, if, and when this did not work, they went to the Ottoman Empire and said, look, we will be able to support you financially if you uh, designate this land as a Jewish state. did not work out. They even went to the French uh, to get the support, but they succeeded with the British. Now, so that's the beginning. Uh, the, the first governor, British governor in Palestine was a Zionist. So uh, Britain had a strong, uh, crucial uh, it was a crucial support to the establishment of the State of Israel. Let's keep going. Then in 1956, after Israel was already an independent state, uh, Israel collaborated with French and British uh, imperialism uh, in the Middle East. In 1956, uh, you, uh, France, England, and Israel attacked Egypt in order to uh, remove the president of Egypt, Nasser, who nationalized the Suez Canal. And by the way, in return for Israel cooperation with, with French imperialism, don't forget in 1956, the French were still having colonies in North Africa. The French agreed to build Israel a nuclear power plant to produce nuclear weapon. Mm. This is the beginning of the, of, of, uh, of the nuclear weapon program of Israel. It came from the French. Now, so you can see that you have... Uh, an alliance between the at that time France, England, and Israel. Then in this in the early 60s, things shift in, in the world and also in the Middle East. The United States became the, the, the dominant power in the world and especially in the in the region. And therefore uh, Israel is uh, uh, is allied with <laughs> allied is uh, not the right way to say because Israel is dependent on the support of the United States, precisely because it needs the weapon. Israel cannot survive one day without the gun, without a war, because of the resistance of, of, of the occupier and the colonized. They have to use the gun all the time. So the dependence on a, a, a power, foreign power, is important. In return... Israel is also doing services to the imperial power that support it. So, for example, everybody here knows that is active in the, in the peace movement of the Israeli involvement with Somoza or the Israeli, Israeli involvement with the, the, the killer regimes in, in, in Guatemala. Um, uh, when, when every year there is a vote in the UN about the... the ending the blockade of Cuba. And every year in the vote in the General Assembly, there are only two or three countries that vote against the resolution that called to end the boycott, uh, the, the blockade of Cuba. Who are these countries? United States, Israel, and last year it was also Brazil. 
So you know, Israel is a proxy of the United States, and there are certain situations where uh, the U.S. does not want to get involved, and Israel will 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 uh, 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 do the things that the United States uh, need to do, whether it is in Latin America or in Asia or in Africa, for that matter. Uh, you know that Israel uh, was a very close, in very close alliance with uh, Mobutu, the president of Congo, who was, was, a, who was a criminal. He, he murdered uh, Lumumba. He was a dictator. He led to, to, to tremendous suffering in Congo and, 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 and uh, selling the natural resources of Congo to multinational cooperation. He, uh, Israel supported the, uh, Mobutu. Uh, he, he even was trained in Israel and he had a, a paratrooper uh, wing on his on the uniform from Israel. Yeah. Uh, so Israel uh, is uh, since its creation and in the future will have to be uh, supported uh, by an imperial power, in this case it's the United States, and will have to do also services for, for the empire. I'm just just to clarify something you said earlier, so I understand it. You were talking about the Suez Canal um, and the British interests in the Suez Canal. Can you yeah. just um, relate that to their interests in the creation of Israel? Yeah, um, the, the the Suez Canal. It it the construction ended in 1869. Now. Uh, it was built by both British and and and, and French uh, business and and uh, state support, and you can imagine the significance of the Suez Canal. You are in England, uh, you have a colony in 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 uh, India, and to travel from England to India, you have to go all the way across Africa. At that time, 1869, most of the ships were powered by coal. So you had to um, take a huge amount of coal with you to try to make it all the way to uh, to India. And the British had, the, of course, uh, colonies also in Yemen, and, and it was a, sta- a station on the way to, to India. But I think it is clear when you look at the map what the Suez Canal meant to British imperial interests um, in, uh, in, in, at that period, yes? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, not only that. Imagine that from 1869 until 1956, it was British and French that owned the canal, not the Egyptian. So Nasser in 1956 nationalized the the canal, and that uh, motivated uh, France, England, and Israel uh, to declare war on him and uh, try to depose him. Of course, they fail, and, uh, uh, but Israel tried again and finally was able to destroy Nasser in 1967. Uh, With the help of Israel. 1967, the defeat of, of, of Egypt led to, to the end of, of Nasser, really. Yeah. Uh, so, so therefore, in, in, uh, in 1956, as I said, when Nasser nationalized the canal, uh, which is an event of great historical significance to the nationalist movement and anti-imperialist movement, um, until then, you, you can see how important this Suez Canal was to the British. And I believe this is the main reason uh, that they uh, uh, wanted to have a Jewish state there because of the strategic location of Israel. And it is, as I said, it's, when you have a, a, a client state uh, that has to depend on outside support in terms of weapon uh, to survive, uh, then, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a, 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 a base of, it was a base of British imperialism in the West Bank. And now Israel, in some sense, is a base of American imperialism in the Middle East. Yeah, its strategic position because of its low, uh, proximity to Egypt. Uh, you mean now? No, in no, in forty-eight. In forty-eight, uh, yeah, yeah. It's you know, this, I, I, I actually, and 
I served in the Suez Canal. I was there in 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 uh, during my military service uh, on the Suez Canal. It's uh, it's you know maybe it's how how long it takes maybe seven hour drive eight hour drive from Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But there, there are more, of course. The Middle East is not just the Suez Canal. As of course, uh, in 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 World War One, uh, is the time when the British switch from coal to uh, to to oil to to for the, for the navy, and that's when the British basically uh, started to uh, uh, an oil company in in in, in Iran. Uh, and basically stole the the oil from from Iran, but the the, the significance of the Middle East, of course, uh, is not only the canal, but also as 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 a source of oil, uh, in in uh, uh, a very significant uh, source of oil to the world, uh, and even more importantly, uh, the alliance between United States and Saudi Arabia guaranteed that Saudi Arabia will sell oil in dollars. And so it's also where the where the money from the oil is going to, uh, in what way. So it's, it's, um, it's oil and... Uh, it is strategic location. We can also see the, the significant strategic location of the Middle East in the context of the the amazing, uh, amazing in a negatively way. Uh, this uh, campaign against China, uh, because China is trying to uh, build again the the, um, the Silk Road all the way from China to to the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So in this context, again, it is the Middle East is uh, is always going to be important as the connecting point between Africa, uh, Asia, and Europe. Right. Yep. What were you doing in your military service there? In the Suez Canal. Yeah. Well, we we were. Um, uh, uh, in 1967, Israel uh, occupied the Golan Heights in the north, the West Bank from Jordan, and the Sinai and Gaza from the Egyptians. Uh, but Sinai is a is a beautiful but huge desert, and uh, so uh, there was always, a, even during the occupation of Israel, Egyptian forces, uh, intelligence, and so on will will parachute or fly by helicopters to to Sinai uh, to collect intelligence uh, and and uh, or to uh, you know next to the Suez Canal. By the way, there is an oil field. It's called Abu Rodez, and so we were guarding. The oil facilities. Israel stole the oil while they, they occupied Sinai, and so we were there guarding the oil field, and um, and the equipment uh, the, uh, uh, of the oil field there. Uh, in addition to um, deter any Egyptian military presence in the Sinai.
You're listening to Get Indigo Radio. You just heard 30 Seconds to Mars, This is War. Today, you're hearing my interview with Yoav Elenevsky. And in this next part of the interview, we talk a little bit about Israel's divide and conquer tactics in the West Bank and Gaza, as well as resistance. Do you know anything about um, Israel's involvement in the creation of Hamas? Well, I just know more or less what's, what is known publicly, of course, that one of the greatest achievements of Israel since 2000, 2002, is the, the separation, the splitting of Palestinian uh, society I should say no. I should be more precise. Splitting the West Bank from from Gaza, and and splitting the, uh, the the political leadership of Palestine of the Palestinians into two antagonistic groups: Fatah on one side and Hamas on the other side. So this, from from Israel point of view, this is a strategy of Israel: is to split the Palestinians into different communities in under totally different situations. So you have the Israeli, the, the Palestinians in Israel, they live under one set of rules. Not equal, but have uh, quite quite, uh, quite a, a, a few rights like every other citizen. The Palestinians in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, they have green cards because Israel annexed Jerusalem. So they live under different uh, rules. The, the the Palestinians in the West Bank they are separated from <laughs> and they live under different kind of rules. Except in the West Bank, the West Bank itself is divided into three areas: area A, B, and C. Each one has its own rules of uh, of uh, uh, life. In other words, in area C, if a Palestinian would like to build a, another room to his or her house, they need the permission from Israel. But the Palestinians in area A doesn't need it. So you see every and then right. you have Gaza. Uh, Gaza is a complete different. Uh, it's it's a it's a horrific situation in Gaza. Two million people closed in in a in a, a forty by by twenty uh, uh, mile uh, rectangle. There, it's it's like a it's horrendous to to live under this kind of condition. The damage it does to people. So they live under in a prison basically. It's a one mm-hmm. big prison. Every Every uh, sector of Palestinians is is living under different system, and 
they are split. So Israel benefit from the, the, this political split and the split between West Bank and Gaza. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, from what we heard, is that um, Israel, I wouldn't say Israel in, in some sense uh, encouraged the, the growth of Hamas, uh, in order to in order to uh, create this split, uh, but uh, I don't think I think that to me, Hamas represent currently the Palestinian resistance. The Palestinian resistance went through very different stages. Initially, in in under the British, it was the religious uh, the the religious leader of the Palestinians who was in Jerusalem, the Mufti, uh, the the one who uh, was responsible for the Muslim property in Jerusalem, the leadership of the resistance was this uh, uh, religious authorities. Then you had, uh, with the creation of the PLO and Fatah, you have nationalists and leftists in the 60s and 70s, the dominant Palestinian resistance. Then you have the 80s, the, 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 uh, the uprising uh, and uh, the first intifada. Uh, and of course, you have uh, uh, after the first intifada, the, the Oslo Accord, that was agreement between Palestinian and Israelis. The Palestinians recognized the state of Israel and they were hoping in return that they will have an independent state in the West Bank and Gaza. Well, we know it did not happen. Uh, so basically, the, the resistance, the Palestinian resistance is continuous, but it, it has different phases depending on the historical moment. At the moment after the failure of the nationalists, the failure of the leftists to deliver any, any, uh, any uh, success, uh, any successful resistance and advancing their goal of freedom, uh, the, everybody failed. And so, therefore, Hamas now is uh, is the is the resistance, the Palestinian resistance, and that's why if Hamas, if there is going to be free election uh, in Palestine, according to most people, Hamas will win the election yeah. uh, because Hamas now represents the resistance. Uh, you see, so Israel, of course, would like Hamas uh, to be. Powerful, but not too powerful, because as you saw, as we saw in the last battle in Gaza, something very fundamental uh, happened. It was the first time that Hamas has enough military power that for eleven days it froze Israel. There was no uh, economic activity in Israel in eleven days. Tel Aviv, the center of Israel society and business and economy. So for the first time, we see that Hamas is gaining uh, enough military power, uh, and that is without the support of Hezbollah, because if, if Hamas and Hezbollah together will collaborate, it, can co- it is a different ballgame. So what I'm saying is that we shouldn't uh, exaggerate how much Israel wants Hamas to be strong. They want it to be strong, but not strong enough. They want the people in Gaza to survive, but no more than that. They keep them, they keep people on the edge, just enough that they can survive, but not not to gain more power. Because it is clear to Israel that the more powerful the Palestinians get, the greater the resistance to Israeli occupation, colonialism, and genocidal policy will be. So, how did Hamas participate in freezing? Um... Uh, Tel Aviv for 11 days. With the rocket? <laughs> you see, when uh, uh, thousands of these of this primitive rockets, but still, uh, primitive or not primitive, it's a rocket. So my, my, my relatives in Tel Aviv told me that what happened is that uh, in the middle of the night, every an hour or so, when, Misa, when the rockets will come to Tel Aviv, there will be sirens and everybody had to leave their apartment yeah. because most people in Tel Aviv live in apartments. They had to leave their apartment and go to the stair- stairways because it's safer there. Yeah. So uh, 
it is so Hamas does not need to kill as many Israelis as Israel kill Palestinians. It's enough that is it is terrorizing the population because it is stressful. Whatever it is stressful to to be under the rockets. There's no question about it. They do some damage and can kill somebody, but it, Hamas doesn't need to kill that many people. All it needs to do is basically freeze Israel. People yeah. did not go to work. People stopped, basically, I, I mean, uh, in America, we don't know what is this experience, but I lived in Israel, for example, during the, fir- the second Gulf War, uh, sorry, the first Gulf War, uh, when the Scud missile were f- falling on Israel, and I can tell you, as I was a civilian there, it is terror. I mean, <laughs> you know that the missile is going to fall somewhere and you just hope it won't fall on you. But nobody go to the streets, nobody go to work, uh, schools are not functioning. It, it is, a, it is a, um, as I said, Israel was frozen for 11 days. So, uh, and Hamas said, and it is believed, that they even have more powerful rockets that they can use. Uh, so therefore, I think that uh, uh, what we're witnessing here is a, um, a, a shift in the equation. Yeah. That it's not, uh, Israel will now have to figure out that uh, their actions might have consequences. Yeah? Would you say there's also been a shift in the like um, global ideas and um, global kind of feeling about the um, Israel and Palestine? Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, uh, I mean, we all see, we all saw the pictures of buildings uh, uh, destroyed. I mean, we all saw the pictures of children getting killed uh, in Gaza. I mean, it is, uh, I mean, and uh, again and again, every four years or so, we see this this wave, and 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 as I said, the the the, the intensity, the ferocity, the ferocity, the, the the destruction level is increasing. You Israel is using the most sophisticated American weapon there is, the most sophisticated airplane F thirty five, the most sophisticated so called smart bombs, and I mean, it's madness. It is us actually, us us American, our taxpayer money is buying this weapon from American companies. Our money go to the American companies. The American companies send, send the weapon to Israel, and Israel is using it to kill Palestinians. The whole world is seeing it, you know? So I, th- I think you are absolutely right that um, I think um, people realize better what is actually happening on the ground. But uh, uh, one need to connect it to it. It is not the only uh, the only uh, case where you have uh, a, a colonial power, imperial power that are causing such suffering for so long. I mean, I can we can discuss Haiti, for example. That that, that since eighteen o four they are suffering tremendous, tremendously because their rebellion against slavery and their desire to be independent and free. So, and all this, as you ask, whether you ask about Israel connection with uh, U.S. imperialism everywhere, it's, uh, as I said earlier, Israel would not be created without imperialism, and Israel cannot survive without imperialism. And uh, I think that uh, all these struggles in some ways are, are really connected. And Palestine now become a symbol for everybody, resistance uh, to, to colonialism and uh, uh, oppression and occupation. Within Israel, do you think it's important for Israelis to refuse military service in solidarity with Palestinians? And what are the consequences for Israelis who do this? Um, well, you know, Israel is a very uh, nationalistic uh, place it is uh, and we are all born those of us who born there and educated there uh, support for Zionism is is almost in our DNA and for young people uh, uh, high school kids to have the the, 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 the guts 
the wisdom, uh, this, the, the understanding the, that um, Israel is an oppressor, as in an army, you are an enforcer of this oppression. You are executing it. And it is amazingly brave of them to do that. And I know a few of them. I met some of them. And uh, some they have to go to prison. Uh, they are, you can imagine uh, how they looked at uh, in the society, uh, like traders. So uh, a lot of... Um, uh, admiration, encouragement uh, uh, for these young people that that uh, refuse, and by refusing, uh, they are shouting something is wrong here. Uh, we 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 don't want to be oppressors. We, I mean, this is not. Uh, it, it's uh, against our values as human beings. Yes. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, they should be supported uh, and their message might reach people that will pay attention and see that th there is something wrong, fundamentally wrong here when such young people are refusing to serve in the Israeli army. Um, can you talk about the work that you are doing right now? Uh, I was... Um, for quite a few years, I, I uh, every summer I would go to Palestine, Israel, uh, take students for a five weeks program in Palestine, in the occupied territories, in Jerusalem, so that they will, the students will un learn from their own experience uh, what is going on and develop uh, human relationship, friendships with with. Uh, Palestinians and with Israelis who are activists for peace and justice. Uh, I, I've done this uh, 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 for about 15 years, uh, but recently I uh, uh, I am not uh, uh, focusing on, so much on Israel. It is still dear to me, and uh, of course uh, I always pay attention to what's happening. And once in a while, even I'm involved in organizing events like we did an event uh, last month after during the Gaza um, uh, uh, battle, uh, the massacre in, in, in Gaza. It was a great event that we organized. There were more than 100 people and we did it in front of uh, McGovern office. Uh, but uh, in the last... Uh, five or so years I'm focusing more on the struggle for justice in Latin America. Um, so uh, uh, we are focusing on the cruel policies of the United States of imposing sanctions uh, on Venezuela that causing the death of tens of thousands of people and these sanctions are supposedly done because of caring for human rights and for human beings. It is just doesn't make any sense that you impose such crippling sanctions that make it impossible for people to get medicine, to, to even to get fo enough food, uh, uh, so that um, uh, dialysis, for example, machine, and uh, people are dying because of that, thousands. And, and it is documented by studies, tens of thousands of people. So we are focusing on, 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 on the issue. It's really a fundamental issue that we need to, to, to think differently about each other, to have more trust, to, 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 to go away from, from violence, to go away from uh, suspicions, from looking for enemies, and always to try to fight with somebody. We need to think about ways that... We, as we witness with the with the corona pandemic, we need to collaborate, we need to work together, we need to trust each other, and we need to build solidarity among people and work together. So uh, I'm right now working on issues relating to Latin America, whether it is Haiti or, or Venezuela, uh, or more locally, we are working now on... A, a campaign to stop the construction of new women prison in Massachusetts for $50 million. It is, again, part of this culture of, of punishment, of violence. Instead of treating prisoners who need uh, uh, treatment, medical treatment, trauma treatment, 
it is a regime of punishment and it we think that we need to start with ending the incarceration of women and girls. And so we are planning, a, as a matter of fact, a march, a walk from Springfield to Boston to raise consciousness and raise support for a moratorium on building new prisons, a women prison in, in Massachusetts. As Senator uh, Joe Comerford, our senator from this area, introduced a bill. And so this is another project that that we are work on abolishing abolishing prisons. And so at the end, Yoav makes one final clear statement on where we should stand on the issue of Israel and Palestine. It is you see the tragic, how tragic it is that you have uh, people who who come to Israel as refugees, and they are involved in a colonial genocidal project of making destroying other people and making them refugees yeah. and i think that there is no reason in the world it doesn't matter even the holocaust does not justify does not justify uh, the punishment and the suffering and the incredible situation that the palestinian had to face because of the creation of the state of israel nothing nothing justified and we should always oppose it and be against it. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. That is the end of our show for today. And I just want to make one more plug for the Spark Teacher Education Institute's um, Summer Music Camp for Kids, Lyrics, Songs, Poems, and the World. It is happening August 9th to August 13th, ages 11 to 17 and younger are also welcome. Um, There are two sessions in the morning from 9 to 12, and then an afternoon session from 12 to 3. So this will take take place outdoors under a tent in Putney, Vermont. And to register, please call 802-451-0291 or email pstrifert, P-S-T-R-I-F-E-R-T, at gmail.com. And so in the spirit of joyful resistance, we will go out with Judy Collins' Bread and Roses. As we go marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand mill lofts gray, are touched with all the radiance that a Give us bread, but give us roll.